0: And things like that. So, as I was looking at Acts chapter 2 this week and just really praying into it, uh, the Lord said, Every one of your core values can be found in this. Now, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes the Lord just has me be too transparent because I would really like for you to think I'm smarter than I am. But it just doesn't work out that way. Because as I really prayed through these core values and felt like this is what the Lord highlighted to me, and it was after we had already preached Acts chapter 2 several times, it was this week as I was studying this that I went back and he said, every one of your core values can be found in Acts chapter 2. And I'm like, God, you're just that good. <laughs> you're just that good. And uh, it, you make me look good. And then I just turn around and tell everybody, it's just you. But That's what First Corinthians one thirty and 31 talks about. It says, he's been made to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification that he might receive all the glory that he might receive all the glory. So I've said before, and it doesn't sound good theologically, but it it, it makes sense in my head, that Jesus does more in my life accidentally than I could ever do on purpose. It's not that he makes accidents. It's just I stumble up on what he's doing and go, wow, man, that looks good. I like it. I can track with that. Jesus, you're beautiful. That's why I say that quite often, because he's beautiful to me. So Acts chapter 2, we... Let me see... I just want to highlight some things. I'm not going to read all of Acts chapter 2. Can I get an amen? Uh, And it says, it it starts in verse 1, and this is something I think that's so important. This is why we've been teaching on core values, because verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. It says, that word uh, one accord, it literally means this, it was unanimous, having mutual consent, being in agreement, having group, unity, one mind, and purpose. So they were all in one place, in one accord. You know why? We put the lyrics up on the screen when we sing, so that we can be in unity. Now there are times that we'll break into a new song, and uh, Malita will be singing something, and Melanie might be singing something else. That's totally different. That's a new song unto the Lord. That Psalms talks about sing a new song unto the Lord. That's totally scriptural. But when we're singing in corporate worship, the majority of the time we have our lyrics, our words up on the screen so everyone can sing in unity. You know, it sounds a whole lot better when we're singing. It would be a little chaotic if Mel was leading one song, Melita was leading another song, and Heather was leading another all at the same time. Can you agree with that? You'd be like, I'm a, I can't, I'm not, that's too, I, <laughs> this is what we'd have to do. we just have to worship because they're in their own place and I can't follow. So he said, they were, on the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So the purpose of, of declaring here's who we are and here's our core values is so that we can walk in unity. Now, here's the beauty of unity, and the Lord continues to highlight this to me. Just this week, I was talking with someone about the difference in conformity and unity. If you've been with us any time, you've heard me say this. There's a huge difference. The church for many years has taught conformity, not unity. Conformity says this, everyone's got to be exactly like me so that I can keep it neat and clean. So you got to be exactly, you got to believe everything exactly like I believe it. And if you can't subscribe to that, there's the door. The door that brought you in will take you out, right? I mean, that's the reality of, of that kind of structure that says we have to conform everyone to our image so it's safe. Because that way, if someone steps out of line, everybody will know it. So we tell people, you got to dress this way. You got to walk this way. You got to talk this way. You got to do this. You can't do that. So what we we give them uh, is a list of do's and don'ts. Maybe it was just me, but that's kind of how I was brought up, in the organized religion I was brought up in. It was do's and don'ts. It wasn't it wasn't relationship that says. um, The way the Lord taught this to me is, you look at the twelve disciples that Jesus picked. Were they alike? No, even those that had the same profession. We had fishermen. There were more than one, uh, the disciples that were fishermen, but they all acted differently. And uh, nowhere did Jesus try to make all of them look the same or talk the same or act the same. He didn't try to make a tax collector look like a fisherman or vice versa. Are you with me? So what he was doing is he was teaching them how they could walk in unity, not conformity. We see the same thing in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell about the same person. Who is he? Jesus. But they all tell it from a different perspective. If you've read the the Gospels, you'll see there are some things in in, uh, Matthew and Mark that may not be in John. It's not that uh, they're left out. It's that they weren't important. It's that each writer wrote it as the Holy Spirit inspired them to write it from their perspective. Are are the Gospels in unity? Absolutely. Absolutely. But are they exactly alike in conformity? No. And the same thing is true for us. We can walk in unity by saying, look, Jesus is Messiah. This is who we are, in this, and we're going this way to make Jesus famous in the earth. And as a church, here's our core values in how we do that. It's worship, the Word, family, supernatural ministry, and outreach. Does that make sense? So when we look at that, we see here in Acts 2, they were in unity. They were in one court, in, in one place, Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and sat on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the uh, Spirit gave them utterance. Then we jump over to verse 11, and it says, it goes down, it tells a little bit about that through those next verses, and it talks, man, we're hearing them in, uh, in our own tongue, Verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. What are they speaking? The wonderful works of God. That literally means the magnificent, splendid, majestic, the grand, the beautiful, the excellent works of God. So they were all perplexed saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. So... Our first core value is worship, and there's um, you can see it in verse 11 when it says that they, 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 were in their tongue, they were speaking in tongues of the wonderful works of God. They were worshiping God in tongues, and the people could hear them and understand them in their own language. That's pretty awesome. That's just pretty awesome. And then, uh, but it says here, the others were mocking, mocking, say they were full of new wine. So in our expression of worship, I've said before, I'm not after anyone's particular expression. If yours is to shout and dance or or whatever, that's between you and the Lord. I just ask that you do it unto him and not unto me or anyone else. If you're doing it as unto the Lord, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But it said here, there was an out... Can you agree with me that there was an outward expression of what was going on? Because the people looking on from the outside thought they were drunk. So they weren't just sitting in the church speaking in tongues. Quietly in their places with bright smiley faces and little tongues of fire sitting on their head. That is not what was happening if we believe the Bible, right? And that's why we're here. We can be in, accord, in unity on that. We're here to learn about Jesus and the Bible. Okay. So Peter took the opportunity. This is so beautiful. And this show so shows the heart of God, the heart of our Father, Peter, The one who denied Jesus Christ and not just denied him, but swore. He cursed. I don't know the man. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, when you repent, you're going to strengthen your brethren. Peter, when you repent, you're going to strengthen your brethren. He didn't say, Peter, you're no good anymore. You're going to hell. You should just go hang yourself like Judas did because I'm done with you. Did he? No. He said, when you repent, when you do what? When you change your mind. When we change our minds, it'll change our action. He said, when you change your mind, you're going to strengthen the brethren. So this Peter, this loud fisherman, this guy we see before this point right here, one of the things that typified Peter's life is that he would speak before he thought right? I mean, you can just read, the, the, you can read uh, the accounts in the gospel, and you can see Peter, James, and John go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and <clears throat> Peter is the only one who says anything. And Peter speaks up and says, let's build three temples, three tabernacles, and we'll just stay here. And God speaks to Peter and said, no, Jesus is the only one that should be worshiped. Peter said, oh, snap. That's my translation. That's, you won't find that in those exact words in there. <clears throat> Peter opens his mouth and says, you know, he was overcome, and he just spoke. But here, on the day of Pentecost, they were in one accord. The presence of the Lord comes in, and Peter takes occasion. When the people start saying, well, they're just drunk, Peter, in that boldness to be able to speak when everyone else is quiet, stands up. But this time it's different because he's anointed with the presence of the Lord. He's filled with the Holy Ghost, and Peter, from from verse 14, and I'm not going going to read it, from verse 14 to verse 39, uh, really around 40, Peter preaches a message, and he talks about this Jesus whom they crucified, who they rejected, who God raised from the dead, that's the same one that did this, that poured out his spirit, and uh, so Peter takes that occasion to stand up and preach the gospel to all these people. And if you're wondering how many it was, I'm not sure exactly, but the Scripture says when Peter made an end to speaking, 3,000 people were born again. So he had a pretty good crowd, wouldn't you say? This Peter, who before had denied that he even knew the Lord, now stands up with boldness and says... This that you're looking at, did you think they're drunk? This is what Joel talked about, and that the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out. That's what this is right here. That's what's going on right here. It's the Holy Ghost. He's on us, and here's what you did. You killed Jesus. (laughs) And it says that, verse 40, "...and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, "'Be saved from this perverse generation.'" Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So verse 42 says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which literally means in the apostles' teaching. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So... We talked about the importance of the word. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What else does it say? And in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. The word that I want us to look at first is continued, and we have it. I have a slide uh, for it. Continued. Let me open my notes so I don't have to turn around backwards it means to continue to do something listen with intense effort with the possible implication of despite difficulty to vote to devote oneself to keep on to persist in so this thing happened there was a great outpouring of the holy spirit here's my passion and here's the power of family they continued and it says that when they, the word continue means that they continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of despite Uh, difficulty. So what does that say? It says there's something happened on that day. The power of God was poured out. The Holy Spirit was given to the church. And when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, they were intentional to hold on to and continue in, even if it meant it was difficult what God had started in them. In them individually and in them as a group. That they continued. And it says this, to continue to do something with intense effort. That's not halfway. With the, impo- with the possible implication of despite difficulty, to devote oneself, to keep on, to persist in. They were committed. They said, we're going to continue in the teachings that we've heard, and we're going to continue in fellowship. That word fellowship, I have defined as well, and I'm going to have to read it because for some reason it's not in my notes. <laughs> Fellowship, communion, sharing, participation. Listen, a term that conveys a sense of commonality, solidarity, and shared responsibility among households or individuals. So it's a communion. It's sharing. It's participation. It it, uh, conveys a sense of commonality, solidarity, and shared responsibility. Sounds like family, doesn't it? It sounds like family. It sounds like a functional family. Not a dysfunctional family. I need to qualify that because just the word family in our day doesn't mean that it's a functional family. When you say the word family, sometimes it has a negative connotation because of what family has meant to an individual growing up. But in the, in the context of a healthy, functional family, that family, there is a, a, a sense of commonality. There's solidarity and shared responsibility that we realize in family, it's not all about me. That we realize in family that God has blessed us and given us the ability to encourage and strengthen one another. To see one another develop to be all that God would have us to be. So this is what was going on in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, it says here in verse 42, I'm not adding anything to it. I'm just defining what's already here. Are you with me? Okay, I got a few nods. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So they made a commitment that they were going to be steadfast And they were going to continue. They weren't going to uh, take it lightly, even if it meant it was difficult to do. Anybody ever had to do anything that was difficult to do? (laughs) And here's what I can promise you. If you commit to continue in a fellowship, whether it's the river or some other, there's going to be times it's difficult. (laughs) Amen. There are going to be times it's not easy because you've got a lot of different personalities from a a lot of different backgrounds and understandings coming together in one place. And it's it's for one purpose, and that's to make Jesus famous in the earth. And when we come in, there are times that personalities conflict. Amen. Amen. There are times that uh, they just... (laughs) It's like iron sharpening iron. You know, that sounds amazing, but something's falling off when iron sharpening iron. To be sharp, it's got to knock stuff off. Right? And uh, sometimes God puts iron in our life that we don't want. <laughs> and it's in the context of family. And he said, "I put them there in family so that you could be committed and you can continue so that you wouldn't abort your destiny. See, I believe that when God joins people to a family, it's not just because it's the coolest thing going. I believe if God sends people to a church, he's sending them because there's something in them that the people in the church need, and there's something in the church that they need. But when we get in and it gets uncomfortable, we're easy to abort the mission. Pull out, back out. It's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be a slaughter. Get out while you can. Run. And many times when you're in and you get wounded, what you do is you go somewhere to hide. You go somewhere where you won't be seen, where you don't have to have a voice and you don't have to do anything. And we tell ourselves that we're just there so we can get healed. And I believe there is a time of healing. I believe there's a time of restoration. But if we are not committed to continue then what we do is we become cold and calloused and we hide in the shadows and we say, I've done my part. I just want to hold on till Jesus gets here. So what you do is you become the steward who buries your gift in the dirt. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. With a great big hug and a kiss for me to eat. That's a proverb. From Barney. (laughs) Come on, Caitlin. She said, yeah, from Barney. (laughs) They continued. That word continued. I couldn't get past. You see it again in verse 46. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. All right, I'm not just going to end I'm going to back up. But I wanted you to see that that word, it says here that they continued. It began. The, the Spirit of God was poured out. Then they said, look, we're going to continue in what we've been taught. And we're going to draw close. Even if it means it's not easy. And if you study your Bible, you'll find out it wasn't easy for them. Because right after this point, persecution rose for the church. And it literally meant that some of them were killed because of what they believed. There was this guy. His name was Saul. And here's what we need to understand. Saul did not hate God. Saul passionately loved God. But he loved him with the wrong perspective. He had not received Jesus. He didn't accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. So he was passionate about what he believed about God and that uh, it was his job to distinguish these false prophets. So when Saul went around and he was persecuting the church, he wasn't doing it because he hated God. He wasn't this evil dictator who hated God. He was a man who was passionate with God, who was misinformed. So I want to tell you, if you were in a church where you feel like you were abused it could have been that there was someone who was really passionate for God, but they were misinformed. They were misinformed about the covenant they were living under, and all they knew was what they had been told. And Matthew says that, the, uh, and Mark says the traditions of men, Mark 7 says the tradition of men have made the word of God of no effect. So what they were enforcing was tradition, because that's what they knew was tradition. It wasn't that they hated you or they hated God, but you got hurt. And Jesus says, you can be healed. But you gotta let go. You gotta let go. You gotta forgive and move forward. Forgiving does not mean that what they did was okay, but it means it no longer has authority over you. So we have to forgive and we have to move forward. Saul was passionate about what he was doing, and God, uh, he, he was headed down the road to, to uh, persecute some Christians, and he ran into someone. It was God. And the Lord asked him, said, Why are you persecuting me? So if you wonder how God looks at us, we say all the time, we're in Christ. Christ's in us, we're in Christ. When the Lord arrested Saul's attention on the road, did he say, Why are you persecuting those people who believe in me? He said, Why are you persecuting me? That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, we know the story. He was blinded. He went uh, to the house. Whose house was it? I can't remember whose house it was, but Ananias came to him. How would you like to be Ananias? We talk about today. We were singing today, God, I give you all, my everything. I give you my all. I give you my everything. God, I'll do anything you want me to do. Yay, God. I'll give you everything. There's Ananias. uh, It's not the one who denied uh, who, who lied with his wife. That's not that one. But here's Ananias. He's in his house, right? And the Lord, angel of the Lord comes to him. He said, you know that guy Saul? <laughs> yeah, I know Saul. <laughs> Absolutely. He was headed this way to persecute me. I want you to go lay hands on him. <laughs> Time out, flag on the plate. What? You want me to do what? Lord, you must be mistaken. You ask me if I know Saul, do you know Saul. Do you know what Saul was headed here to do? He was coming for me. Yeah, I want you to go lay hands on him because I'm going to use him. Ananias had to be obedient to go. When he laid hands on Saul, the shackles, the uh, scales fell off his eyes. And uh, Saul, it says, Saul, God changed his name to Paul, but he went out and for three, three and a half years, he just spent time alone with the Lord, and the Lord began to give him downloads about this new covenant called grace and what it really meant. But Saul was passionate. He wasn't a wicked person who hated God. And, and I understand that sometimes in family, there are people who are passionate, and they cause wounds. It's not because they're malicious. It's just because they're passionate and they're learning. But someone that's committed to family says, I'm going to continue. I'm not going to pack my bags and leave. I'm not just going to throw in the towel and quit. I'm committed, first and foremost, to Jesus. Amen and second, to the family. And, it, and this is what's so, so beautiful right here. If you read this verse, I, I went from verse 42 over to verse 46, but if you read, you continue to read, it's, this is a passage we don't like to teach because it too has been taken out of context in the past, and that's where uh, some cults have risen. That's where some, uh, some misguided teaching, I won't necessarily call some of them cults because a cult is something that's often the doctrine of Christ. So there are gatherings that have created communes and stuff like that that just weren't healthy there were doctrines that have come out that weren't healthy there's doctrines that have come out in in the body of christ that were people who really loved the lord and they were passionate there were movements called shepherding i don't know if you've heard of shepherding but uh shepherding was a movement years ago 10 or so years ago and what it said is this if you make any decision you got to bring it to me because I'm the shepherd and you shouldn't make any decision in your life without bringing it to me and me okay in it I I don't want I don't want to make all your decisions for you that's not healthy for me or for you (laughs) he's the great shepherd he's the one who said he would lead and guide and direct us now there is safety in a multitude of counselors I'm all for that But there was a movement that came out of that that said, nope, we're going to just sell everything, make everything common, and we won't make any decisions without our pastor giving us the thumbs up. Please hear me out. I'm not against giving godly wisdom and counsel, my perspective. But to say that every decision has to be run through me is not healthy. Are you with me? But it says here that fear came upon every soul. And look at this. Just look at this. So we're in the context I'm talking in the context of family. They're continuing, they're paying the price to stay continue, to stay connected. And look what happens next, verse 43. Then fear come upon every soul, and what happened? Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were gathered uh, were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So it says here from 42 to 46, the little thing that happened right in the middle of that is that great fear, reverence, respect, all of who God really is came on everyone, not just those in the church, but those on the outside. And signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. So we talk about one of our core values is supernatural ministry, right? The next thing that we talk about, the last thing is outreach. You see both of those right here. He said that signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostle. Every soul, fear came upon every soul. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And in verse 47, it says this, praising God and having favor with how many people? All the people, not just the people in the church, with all the people. So here, here's what I believe through the scriptures. When, when people come together and they continue in fellowship, in, coin, in uh point of the is not really how you say it, but that's the way I've said it all my life, so I'm going to say it that way today, because <laughs> uh, I got this new Bible program, and you hit a button, and it pronounces it right, and it's wrecking my world, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I thought I had it memorized, but I don't, so the word for fellowship, it, it, it means uh, mutual investment, it means partnership. It doesn't mean that one person does everything. It means that together they get it done. So it says they were committed, even in the face of difficulty, to stay connected, to stay in community. And um, it says that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So it says as they continued and they partnered that signs and wonders were breaking out everywhere. And all the people, that's outreach, that's people not in the church, that's people outside, saw what God was doing. And they were able to reach into their lives as well because all the healings and signs and wonders didn't just happen in the church. Are you with me? So God says, this is my heart for you. This is my heart that we, and, and here's, we Today is the, the last Sunday of the month, and and we do communion on the last Sunday of the month. And as I was looking at this, that's part of what's going on here. It says, and the breaking of bread, it, that's talking of communion. So that it says, verse 42, let's back up to the verse that we started with. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers, and in prayers. And so... They were listening to the teaching. They had partnership, participation, communion. And that communion there is, really can be broken down to common union, that we come together for common ground, and that's Jesus. In breaking of bread, which is, in, uh, is it's the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord. So they would come together, and every time they came together, this, I think, is what strengthened them. Every time they came together, they would remember the Lord. They would remember his body that was broken so that theirs could be whole. They would remember his blood that was shed that, so they could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So they weren't coming together as mere men and women who had uh, a common belief. They were coming together around the person of Jesus Christ. And every time they broke bread, every time they took communion together, I think God strengthened them. It strengthened them in who he was, who they were in him, and it strengthened them in the fact that we're in this together. That no one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. That we're in this together, and it says as they were doing that. Remember, that's verse forty-two, right? They continued, so they had commitment to one another, and into partnership, and into teaching, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came on every soul, and signs and wonders were done through the uh, through the apostles. Do you see how these things progressed? They made a commitment, even in difficult times. We're sticking with it, and not just with it with one another. That's what we're doing. I, we've, it's been prophesied over this church about the things that God's going to do through this church. Signs, wonders, miracles. I mean, there's been prophecies of wheelchairs and, and uh, walkers stacked up out back and all that. That's awesome. But my heart is this, that it comes on a family that's committed to one another. So when those things happen, that it doesn't pull apart the family that's supposed to be bringing others in. Because I understand this. If this isn't a healthy family, how are we going to heal or help those who come in who are hurting? We can add numbers, and what we'll do is we'll create another place for people to hide. We'll create another place for people to hide. But as we say, no, I'm committed. And in a family, here's what I know. We don't always get our way. That's the way it was in my family anyway. I sure tried sometimes. It just didn't work out that way. You didn't have to say amen right there, Dad not necessary, <laughs> but we're committed. And as they committed to one another, as they continued and they, they had partnership and community and fellowship, they continued in the, the, the uh, teaching of the word and in communion with one another and prayer. It says, then, fear come upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together. Isn't that beautiful? All who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, I don't believe that that we as a church say, yep, I'm committed to the church, so I'm going to sell everything I got and make sure everybody has everything I have. But it does say this, that I won't just turn a blind eye to someone who I know has need when God's touched my heart to reach out to help meet that need. That's family. Now, it says... I just give it all away, but it says, when I see a need that God highlights to me, I'm willing to step up and do what God's told me to do. And that can look different every time, but it's that willingness to say, I won't see someone else do without when I have the opportunity that I can help them when God tells me to. That doesn't mean that I I become the uh, benevolent brother that has to give all my money away to people who aren't doing anything. Are you with me? But in the context of a healthy family, it says, I'm willing to help out my brother or my sister when I see them in a place. And we do that by sensitivity to our Father. And we'd be just like Jesus when he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. When the Father highlights someone and says, you can do this for them. And I've had so many testimonies. That's why I'm so thankful that I can share this message, not from, hey, I hope we get there one day, but by saying, I know that we're on the way because I've seen it manifested in this place. I've seen it manifested. as I've seen people come to me and say, I was at church today and someone had no idea that I had this need in my life, and they came up and gave me this money. Had no idea I had this need in my life. You know what that is? That's the body. That's the family saying, yes, Daddy, I hear you, and I'd be willing to do what you tell me to do. When there's been opportunities to give, I've seen this church come and just... and and do what this passage is talking about, that encourages me so much. So I'm not saying we're not at a place. I'm saying we're on the journey, but as we grow closer and stronger in it, the Lord will continue to do what he wants to do. So verse 46 says, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. I think this is important too. And it doesn't mean that we're going to change service schedule to every day of the week. But I think it does mean this, that you ought to be doing life with someone every day. I got a few hmms. That means that we ought to be in fellowship with people. We ought to be connected with people, continuing daily, encouraging and strengthening one another. It can be a text. It can be just uh, a phone call, an email, or something like that. But we're connected. That needs to grow deeper than that. Uh, That's the purpose of our small groups that... uh, Steve announced earlier, our purpose of the small groups is so we can go deeper in relationship so that we can get to know one another, not sitting looking at the back of somebody's head, but sitting facing each other in a small group where we can do life together and we can pray for one. I had so many testimonies of people in our small groups, of family in our small groups who go, man, it's, it's helped me in this area. It's helped me in this area. It's strengthened me over here. And if nothing else, it just gave me life when I needed life amen. That's a good word right there. Breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. Again, I talked about worship. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Those who were being what? Those that were being snatched out of other fellowships because they weren't happy. Yeah, we're rescuing the fallen. Those who've been hurt and discouraged and cast out, we're just going to go get them. I'm all about restoring. I said the first message we ever preached here as a church down on Main Street said that this is going to be a place of restoration where people can come and be restored who've been disappointed, disillusioned, and hurt and discouraged and uh, defeated and all those Ds. They can get health and wholeness and healing here. But it says that the, the church... They were added to the church daily, those who were being saved. Why? Because they were continuing. They were in prayer. They were in breaking bread. And that's the one I want to touch on now is prayer. We're going to receive communion in just a few moments, but prayer. And this is an area that the Lord's really highlighted to me that I dropped the ball and uh, that even we as a ministry had grown weak, and that's in prayer. I shared a few weeks ago back, prayer is not just talking to God. You know, we've said that for years and years. I was told, prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is just talking to God. No, it's not. That's, that's, you, that's monologue. That's not fellowship. That's, that's giving information. That's not fellowshipping. That's not partnership. That's not continuing together. True prayer is a time of talking and a time of listening. And you know what? To do that, you've got to be still. I'm going to ask the guys to come. We're going to receive uh, communion because they continued, right, getting back to Acts. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' uh, doctrine and fellowship and in what? Breaking of bread.